the going gets tough, Pastor Xavier Reese says, don't go anywhere but to God. When our situation is difficult, but we know that God has either allowed it or is working through it, for the present difficulty is causing me to depend on God. The present difficulty is teaching me to hear the voice of God. And the present difficulty is preparing me for future and more difficult situations to trust Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. There's a wise old adage that goes, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. That's good advice for meeting goals in any undertaking. But when it comes to God's plan for our lives, we're a lot better off when we faithfully allow Him to work according to His purposes. And in the continuation of our series in the book of Exodus, Pastor Xavier highlights some particularly divine activity at the hand of God in the birth and preservation of the prophet Moses. Exodus chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, the message entitled, The Invisible God at Work. The birth of Moses is given to us in this brief sketch revealing the invisible activity of God throughout it. And it's characterized by the following. First of all, the divine time of Moses' birth. Secondly, you have the divine hand of Moses' rescue. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. The Nile River was considered, as you know, sacred. And these washings were considered for health-giving and productive fruitfulness. It would make them virile, fertile to conceive. That's very contemporary. Where's this baby? In the Nile. What's she going to the Nile for? To be fruitful. And a baby's there. How interesting. Let me say that the church is not contemporary, but God is. (laughs) Too often the church is a copycat of the world. God is contemporary. There's a big difference. Notice the daughter of Pharaoh's maids walked along the riverside. These women were there to accompany her in form of protection, but also to tend to her every need. Now, the daughter of Pharaoh saw the ark among the reeds, and she sent her maid to get it. God's unseen hand prompted her to notice the ark. This is God, though we're not told. This is God's plan. God's plan was in motion. The princess sent her maid to get the ark. Now notice in verse 6, God chose the particular person for Moses' rescue. God is sovereign. He knows everything and he doesn't make mistakes. (laughs) The daughter of Pharaoh personally came, notice, in contact with baby Moses. She opened the ark brought to her by her maid in verse 6, and she saw a beautiful and healthy child laying inside the ark, and she heard the child weep. Now, the fact that the child laid in the ark without crying until the right time is no coincidence. Once again, the implication is God's in control here. The text says, And behold, the baby wept, the emphasis being that one is to take notice. This is divine intervention. You remember Philip was sent down to Gaza, the desert, for the eunuch? He says, and behold, a eunuch in the desert. (laughs) 
In other words, this is God's meeting. All right? Real simple. Remember Ruth? Came to the field of... And it so happened that she came to reap in the fields of Boaz. No, what happened? God was directing and guiding. Notice the daughter of Pharaoh was personally moved by the circumstance in verse 6. She had compassion on him. The word compassion means pity. Having sympathy and empathy for the baby. The outcome of this pity was to spare the child. Notice she declared, this is one of the Hebrew children. The identity of the child was immediately recognized by her. The plan of God was never to disguise the child, but to place the baby under protective care for his time and purposes. You remember Joseph looking back. He said to his brothers in Genesis 50 verse 20, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. And so the case here. God is working. He's ready to deliver the nation. It will still be 80 years before it happens. But he's starting to reveal his activities. God will choose particular difficult occasions in normal everyday life to work in your life and mine on behalf of us for his glory. It could be the circumstances of where you work, your employment, or you as an employer. It could be a difficult marriage at the present. It could be a rebellious child. It could be a person who's a thorn on your side. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. God is working for our good. He knows what he's doing. God will choose to work on our behalf through normal events of a day to remedy or solve our dilemmas. As you are walking in faith daily. That's the key. You may be aware of it at the time. You may be completely ignorant about it at the time. Or you may be aware of the time later. As God reveals it to you. But in all cases, he's working. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. Now the context of that, ladies and gentlemen, is as you're walking with God and He's working on your behalf for His glory. Don't blame God for your dumb decisions and say all things work for good. No, 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 no. Now God's grace will be sufficient as you depend upon Him to work through Him, but you've got to deal with the consequences, right? This context is, as you're walking in faith, obeying God, and He is directing, guiding you, all things are working for good, okay? This is His direction, His guidance, because I hear many Christians say, well, all things work together for good, and you're, you know, you're trying to smear God with your carnality in that. No. No way. God is not only omnipotent and all-powerful, 
not only omniscient, all-knowing, not only omnipresent, all present every time, everywhere at the same time, but he has myriads of angels that do his bidding for the saints. In the days of Isaiah and Hezekiah, if you remember, one angel went out one night and destroyed 185,000 first-rank Assyrian soldiers for reproaching the Holy One of Israel in 2 Kings 19.35. One angel. What do you think two would have done? How about a legion? The king of Syria in 2 Kings 6.15-17 spoke to his troops and said, someone's betraying us. Someone's giving away our battle plans to the king of Israel. And the troops stood up and says, no, there's a guy down there called Elijah. He's a prophet of God in Dothan. And he even knows what you are doing and saying in your bedroom. He says, go get that rat. So the army went down and Elisha had um, a servant. And the text says, and when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, alas, my master, what shall we do? He saw the army of Syria. And he answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those that are with them. And Elijah prayed and says, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. Now, they weren't visible until the prophet prayed. The visibility of them did not change the security or the safety. You understand? So the divine hand on Moses' rescue was in view of a normal day. We're always waiting for the lightning, the thunder. And yet God works the supernatural to the most natural things all the time. Notice thirdly. The divine providence for Moses' formative years comes in 7 through 10. In verse 7 and 8, God chose the method for the transition of the future deliverer. In verse 7, the final part of the plan of God was to be played out by the sister of Moses, Miriam. Miriam had been standing afar off in verse 4 to see what would be done to her brother. The text simply tells us that at that very moment, in verse 7, Miriam, the sister of Moses, asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for uh, for you from the Hebrew women? Great idea. It just so happens she just pops out. Notice Miriam articulated in her question the purpose of seeking the Hebrew woman, that she may nurse the child for you. To wet nurses her. This was a common practice. It still is in some parts of the world. To be under protective care without any doubt. The transition is being placed here. The baton is being passed. The faithfulness of God was complete to Jochebed and Amram. Look at verse 8. Miriam was commanded by the daughter of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. 
Now she's under protective authority. How does God do that? <laughs> Miriam went to bring her mother. And so the maiden went and called the child's mother. Can you imagine the elation of Jochebed when Miriam walked in the house? She ran in the house. <laughs> you know what it did for their faith? As they saw God faithful to his word? Verse 9. God chose the manner for the preparation of the future deliverer also. The divine plan was carried out by the daughter of Pharaoh. She became the instrument of God. Listen to the words. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, she became the instrument of God. As much as Cyrus is called God's anointed. <laughs> I wonder how many people God has used in our generation, in the world, secular people that have been his instrument. We have no idea. But we know that, that there have been. Because we have the record of the Bible. She became the authority of God. Take this child away and nurse him to me. You think Jacob had thought this was a burden? <laughs> Man. The divine plan included monetary compensation, wages. Amazing. God gives us even what we don't ask. <laughs> Remember Solomon, because you did not ask for wealth, money, or your, your enemies, I'll give you those two. Wow. The son of Jacobin was rescued from danger to the safety of his own home. And so the woman took the child and nursed him. Our heart must have rejoiced in the faithfulness of God. Our heart must have rejoiced in that her son would not grow up in slavery but rather in privilege for the purposes and glory of God. Notice in verse 10, God then chose the means for the habitation of the future deliverer. Moses, the child, grew until weaning. This is the implication. The usual duration of weaning was about two years. Some are a little longer, but two years is about it. Doesn't seem like much. Listen up, moms. God gave Jochebed two years for Moses. And when he grew to age, he knew God had called him. The training Jochebed gave to Moses implanted God's word in his heart. A critical foundation for his future call as a deliverer. I'm not here to put you on the condemnation if you work, moms, if you have to. Be it because of your circumstance or situations but I um, I grieve when women not having to work choose to work to get away from their children your children need you you are there to pour God's word into their heart to model it to pray for them to prepare them notice Moses was brought by Jochebed to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. Having the word of God implanted in his heart, 
As we get to the law in Deuteronomy, he has much to say about speaking to them as you rise up, when they go to bed, everything else, over and over again. This must have been more difficult than when she put him into the little ark. Put yourself in that place, mothers. The last transaction severed all ties for the next 38 years. As far as we know, we have no information. There was contact. Doesn't mean there weren't. We just don't have it. The New Testament commentary by Stephen says this in Acts 7, 21 and 22. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. It was mighty in words and deeds. Privileged education. Privileged position. The Egyptians were smart. They knew the distance to the sun. They knew the techniques of embalming that we don't know today. I've been to Cairo. I've been to the uh, pyramids. I've seen pictures of the colors that are so bright and so, and they're, oh, they're 4,000 years old. I have to paint my house 7 to 10 years. <laughs> By the way, there was electricity used in Egypt also, a form of it. They're smart dudes. The problem was they were godless. And so she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. The name Moses has an Egyptian verb, letters M-S, appearing in other Egyptian names like Pathmosi, Tuthmosis, and Amose, and other names as such. But the name Moses, again, in Hebrew, simply means drawn. And so there's the correlation, because he was drawn from the Nile. That was his name at this time, and that is the name that he carries throughout Scripture. No other name. Now, Daniel was taken captive to Babylon. If you remember, he was probably 13 to 16 years old. And choosing to trust God, he purposed not to defile himself with the king's meat. And God prepared him to be his future prophet within Shushan the palace. In the midst of corruption, with no adult supervision, no parents, he could do what he wanted. He could be like the heathen, and he chose to yield to God. He had God's word implanted in his heart by his parents. Parents, you trust God for the power of his word as you model, as you instruct, as you pray over your children under your home in this godless, humanistic generation. When we do not know how God is going to work in a particular situation, we must do specific things. First, pray that God speak to us. Not the last thing. The first thing. Pray. Then, patiently wait on God, expecting that He will speak and not resort to my own devices. Then prepare my heart by staying in the Word of God. Proverbs 3, 4 through 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not to your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Absolute promise and guarantee. But there's condition those things, right? When our situation is difficult, 
but we know that God has either allowed it or is working through it, then I need to be very, very careful to not take matters into my own hands. This is the tendency of our flesh. For the present difficulty is causing me to depend on God. The present difficulty is teaching me to hear the voice of God. And the present difficulty is preparing me for future and more difficult situations to trust God. Peter puts it this way in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. As his divine power has given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these you may be partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. As his divine power has given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness, That means that everything God allows or everything that comes into my life as a Christian, God is able to direct and I am able to be victorious over it. I'm able to fulfill it as I depend on the divine nature and God's direction. The disappointments, the heartaches, the difficulties, the things that seem to be unfair, unjust, This is what Christianity is about, ladies and gentlemen. Not what we hear over radio and television, is it? When you find yourself as parents in a child custody case that are so prevalent today, you do all that you can do to fight to get your children and to do for your children to give them a Christian home. God doesn't want you to just roll over. So you depend upon God and you do all that you can to be that responsible parent. Do you understand? You may have shared custody with an unbelieving mate. Then you must value the time that you have with your child or your children to teach them the word of God, to pray, the value of church, and then model all of that in your own life, trusting God to be faithful. Very important. And then you continue praying growing in Christ yourself and do all that you can for your children throughout their lives till they're adults because God has given them to you because God wants to use them and call them into the kingdom and use them for his glory. The divine providence for Moses' formative years was in view of his future call. And so is that of your children, ladies and gentlemen. Here we have the birth of Moses given to us in a brief sketch revealing the invisible activity of God through the entire passage. Characterized by the divine time of Moses' birth in view of the present crises. The divine hand of Moses' rescue was in view of a normal day. The divine providence for Moses' formative year was in view of his future call. Do you see how relative God's word is? How applicable, how contemporary it is? Nothing has changed. People are still in bondage to sin, 
in the world. God is still desiring to free people through repentance and the gospel to use them for his glory and his purposes. Pastor Xavier Reese using the story of the young life of Moses to describe the work of God's hand as a strong deliverer. Now, just before we close, let me mention that copies of today's study titled The Invisible God at Work are available on CD for just $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is simply The Invisible God at Work, or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com